I forgot, Pete. I got to record us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Good catch, man. Good Otherwise, we would just be recording for no oh, reason. Man. All right, guys. This would be the two. last interview we would ever get. 100%. I know, right? <laughs> Let's go. Man, the Warriors absolutely dominate the Nets. Zion is cleared for one-on-one -on -one drills and the Mavs. Dodge a bullet because Luka avoids serious injury. I'm Rosa Panta. This is the Clinic All-NBA Podcast. I have the three hooligans with me again. JJ, how you living, my friend? Feeling good. Feeling great. How are you? I'm feeling great, too. John, how you living? Doing awesome. Excited for this episode. And Sammy, how you living, my friend? I cannot complain, my man. How are you? I'm doing good, and we have a special guest with us. This is going to be a Memphis Grizzlies dedicated pod, and we have the broadcast play-by-play -play voice of the Memphis Grizzlies, Pete Pranica. Pete, how are you living, my friend? I am living my best life. <laughs> how about that? <laughs> that sounds good. And Pete, we're going to talk about the state of the Grizzlies, the grit and grind era, and a little bit about your journey into broadcasting. But first, I wanted to ask you kind of a random question just to get you kind of loose okay you know, the nba has released their top 75 for this year and you know memphis actually was probably the least represented in this list i think they only had sammy who was it, alan iverson three games of ai three <laughs> games of and, ai and and, and none at home and none at home, and boy, do I have a good Allen Iverson story for you. So whenever, whenever you want to get to an Allen Iverson story, I've got one for you. Okay, that sounds great to us. But our question is, what former or current Memphis Grizzly should have made the top 75 and why? If there would have been one, I think it should have been Pau Gasol. Uh, multiple championships. And in some sense, I think, became the prototype for the stretch four. Not that he was a, a very prolific three-point shooter, but he kind of revolutionized or changed our perception of what the power forward position can be in the NBA. Uh, and obviously had won championships, has played well across the board. Uh, I think he is destined to be in Springfield because of the entirety of his career, including, of course, his, his play for the Spanish national team, uh, in addition to what he did in the NBA. But yeah, if you had to pick one Grizzly uh, that wore the uniform at one point. I, I think Pau Gasol would be the choice. Oh man, Pete, that's I gotta a great say, choice. Go ahead. Oh, I was sorry. I was gonna say, Pete, you, you put a smile on my face as a Laker fan. That that's one of my guys that I thought was <laughs> <laughs> a real slight on that list. <laughs> well, you know, and and and, and Pau's, Pau's a great person too. And I've always enjoyed my interactions with him throughout the years. No matter what uniform he's worn. He's always greeted me with a smile and a big hug. And the whole Gasol family, they're real, real quality people. Got to know uh, Mrs. Gasol a little bit when, when Mark was in Memphis. And it's a it's a great family. And those are, are two wonderful young men. And um, yeah, I would say Powell would, be, would have to be the one I'd put on the anniversary team if you had to pick a Grizzly, other than Allen Iverson, who was there for three games. <laughs> right, I think another person um, that played for Memphis sort of like in his twilight years though could have been Vince Carter true true yeah you know yeah I forget about that I, I you know I think of how because primarily he ended up starting his career with the Grizzlies right and uh, that's that's why I, I think of him yeah I'm a little surprised Vince Carter didn't make the top 75 that that to me seemed a, a bit odd but uh, you know 75 years 75 players it's a it's a pretty steep mountain to climb to get into that list. Yeah, I'm going to have to absolutely agree. And let's talk about the Memphis Grizzlies. They're currently 7-7, seven and seven, had recent losses to the Suns and inexplicably the New Orleans Pelicans. But they had a dominating win against the Houston Rockets, who are actually surprisingly kind of feisty despite their record. Um, you guys won 136-102. You're now 14 games in. How do you feel about your Memphis Grizzlies? I don't know how to feel about this team. It's funny because, well, the, the, re the, reason, the, the reason I say that is I had uh, on my own podcast, The Grizz Weekly Grind, all right, which you can find on Hoops Podnet. Um, I had Mark J. Spears, whom I've known for a long, long time, covered the, the Denver Nuggets and now writes for the Undefeated. And, and we've always had real good conversations. And he said, the Grizzlies at this point are a team that can beat any team and lose to any team. 
And even Taylor Jenkins said to his guys, he said, okay, there are two versions of the Memphis Grizzlies. There's the version of the Memphis Grizzlies that went on the road, overcame a double-digit deficit, and beat the Clippers on their own floor. There's the version of the Grizzlies that went into Golden State, overcame a big deficit, and won in overtime. And then there's the version of the Grizzlies that lost to the New Orleans Pelicans. Which version are we going to be? And and that's really where we are right now. This is a team that they're the, by average age, they're the second youngest team in the league. And the big challenge for them is defense right now. Defense has to be connected. It has to be uh, communicative. And the first day of practice of training camp, uh, Taylor Jenkins is like, guys, we need to talk on defense. We need to be, you know, communicating with one another. And it's a team right now that defensively isn't as disciplined as it needs to be. It's not as communicative as it needs to be on defense. And their offense is not good enough at this point to overcome those shortcomings. So if your defense is bad, and I think they've they've only had two games with a defensive rating of under 110 points for 100 possessions in an individual game. Uh, it, it, it's hard. It's hard to score enough to overcome that. So, you know, if, if they lock in defensively and the game plan discipline is really good on the defensive side of the floor, they're really good. Uh, and if they're making a ton of shots, they're really good. But if one of those two things isn't present, then uh, then you end up losing to the New Orleans Pelicans. Right. And, you know, kind of thinking about your guys's season early on i mean dylan brooks goes down with a with a hand injury how much of that kind of derailed sort of the di- sort of the defensive identity for memphis i think the, the, i think that dylan coming back won't solve all the issues but but the fact that he wasn't there from the jump i think was very hurtful because teams don't like to play against dylan in memphis we call him dylan the villain uh, he likes playing that he likes he likes playing the heavy and I think I think some of the some of the Portland fans will remember the games at at uh, at the Rose Garden no I don't call it the Moda Center it's the Rose Garden um, I think some fans remember you know how he came in there with a lot of swag and, and the Grizzlies were missing that and he is the guy who will always take the other team's best score no matter who it is and they were missing that from the jump now you're going to get some of that back and it remains to be seen if their on-ball defense is going to improve. It, it just can't be Dylan Brooks doing it. It has to be all five guys on the floor. So in terms of John Morant's MVP case, because we were, we're really big fans of John Morant, and Huge all, all four of us actually picked him to be this year's MVP pick. Do you still think he has a strong case? And you think that the Grizzlies are capable of getting into the top five seed this I, I, you know, based on what I've seen so far, I think a top six seed to, to avoid the play-in tournament is is a pretty heavy lift for this team right now. Unless their defense drastically improves. Now, if if it improves, then you know now now maybe you you've got a shot there. As far as John the MVP, you have to win. I think at a much higher level than 500. Mm-hmm. That is going to be, I think, what would hold him back from that. If the Grizzlies don't have a good record at the time of the All-Star break, it could also work against him for an All-Star selection. So MVP case at this point, I, I don't think really, really exists in a, in a meaningful way unless, you know, this would be a team that, you know, would go on and win, you know, 55 games or something like that. And, uh, you know, he maintains the current level of production. I mean, he and Luca are the only two players right now averaging 25 five boards and seven assists so that's pretty 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 rarefied company with those two guys so speaking of jaw specifically as uh as i said we all kind of have like our player crush on him uh, from a team that we're not homers for um Mm-hmm. Beyond the stats, because you mentioned them, the stats are amazing so far. As someone who watches every one of their games, obviously, what have you noticed as his biggest jump from last year to this year in terms of his on-court demeanor and the actual way he's playing uh, beyond the stat sheet? He's been more aggressive. Uh, there were times last year where he would just walk into a three early in the clock. And it's like, why are you doing this? He has, I mean, he's leading the league as, as, as we talk right now. He's leading the league in paint points per game okay as a as a six six foot something guard 
Um, <laughs> and, and he's understood that he needs to be more aggressive offensively. I talked with his dad before the season started, and they watched a lot of tape, and they had some conversations. And his dad kept telling him, you need to be more aggressive to, to score yourself. He said, you know, your assist numbers are not going to suffer if you're a more dangerous scorer. In fact, your assist numbers are probably going to go up. And Ja has increased his scoring because he has been more willing to take that mid-range jump shot, to take that, mm-hmm. you know, 12-foot shot just inside the foul line, that he's been able to seek out those crevices. And he does have the explosiveness and the hops to jump over taller players and to finish floaters in the lane rather than settle for long twos or threes. Now, having said that, he's shooting the three at a much better rate in terms of accuracy than than he did early part of last year. But where his biggest step has been, I think it's understanding where he can be a more effective and efficient scorer. Yeah, that, that makes totally like complete sense. I actually want to ask you about Jaron Jackson Jr. So it it seems like John Morant, obviously, he is the leader of this group. He is the number one option on, D, on offense. Maybe number two will be Dylan Brooks. And it seems like if this team has aspirations to go deep into the playoffs, they need to rely on Jaron Jackson Jr. to actually develop into a solid number three. Do you feel like he's headed that direction? Uh, You know, it's kind of the same thing as where are the Grizzlies right now? There's good Jaron and then there's (laughs) not so good Jaron. You know, there's there's Jaron who, uh, you know, in the game against New Orleans, shot a lot of threes, did not meet with a lot of success, got a couple of foul calls, did not like the calls that went against him. And you could tell by his body language that he he just he just wasn't into the game. I'm not making shots. I'm not getting calls. I don't like the calls against me. And you know he you know finished with you know two or three points in that game. Now the next night uh, or next game he comes back against Houston. And rather than shooting threes all the time, although he did take and make a couple of threes, he went into the post and put in some nice spin moves. And you're thinking like, okay, this is the Jaron. If if there is a prototype, okay, if you wanted to get some video and say, this is who I think Jaron Jackson should be, you show him tape of the Houston game where he gets low post position, gets an early seal, doesn't power dribble, he doesn't crab dribble, no. Throw me the ball. I've got it. Seal. Yes. Turn to the basket. You do that on a consistent basis, and then the three-point shots are going to be even wider open. Where I get frustrated with Jaron is when his first opportunity is, I'm going to shoot a three. Because, and, and here's the other thing too. And, and um, Brevin Knight has pointed this out during the course of the telecast. Okay, most teams play with one big. The Grizzlies have two. So you know that Steven Adams is going to draw the biggest guy on the other side to guard him. The guy that's guarding Jaron is going to be smaller in almost every case. Right. So right. run to the box, put your hand up, let Ja throw you the ball, go finish. Period. Amen. I mean, that, you know, it really. <laughs> you would you would think it would you think you you think it would be that simple, but you know we're also working with a player who is coming off a long layoff because of a knee injury. And we're also talking about a player who is, was Jaron, 21 years old. So he's still pretty young in his basketball life. And so sometimes there is maybe a, a lack of discipline in his offensive game and understanding game situations. And look, I got a guy who's 6'7 on me. Hey, yeah, I'm going to take this guy into the post. That's a more efficient option than, than shooting a three. Yeah, it sounds like he should be talking to to Zach Randolph and, and Marc Gasol getting down in the block there and maybe kicking out. The problem, I think, or part of the problem, I think, with the Memphis Grizzlies is that it seems like there's a lot of players that sort of occupy the same space on offense. Like with Jaron Jackson Jr., you, you just mentioned that he, he does well on the post, and it seems like he kind of drifts out to the three-point line because John Morant wants to operate in the same space. Do you sort of see the same thing? There's a little bit of that, but I mean that that's that's today's NBA. Everybody wants to shoot threes. Nobody goes into the post anymore. You know the the days of the back back to the basket big are are, are pretty much over and done with. Um, 
but I mean, you know, you 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 raise an intriguing point that you know sometimes they're trying to occupy the same space. I just think I think that there's a way to do this properly um, and to get Jaron to be an inside-out player. He can be a stretch four, but being a stretch four isn't just shooting threes. It's it's doing other things and. His rebounding numbers have come up. His block numbers are very, very good. So defensively, he's been good. Uh, he still struggles sometimes with fouls because, again, there's there's a, a lack of discipline sometimes in how he defends uh, in trying to get a block shot. A lot of reaching, you know, a lot of reaching, a lot of grabbing, not the, you know, not moving his feet. So these these are all little things that you know, once he cleans up, I mean, he can be he can be an all star caliber player. But right now, I think he's. He's coming back after a long layoff, and again, it's kind of fits and starts, and some nights are better than others. For the Grizzly fans out there that remain really hopeful in this team, what would you say to these fans? What what could they look forward to for the upcoming season? Well, I would I would say that this is this is a young team that has the potential to be very cohesive. It's a good group of guys. They really really enjoy playing. For Taylor Jenkins, they enjoy playing together, and that cohesion, and, and that's why the defensive lapses early are so perplexing because this is a team that's, that's pretty together. They just need to communicate more on the floor rather than just assume, you know, that that everything is is going to work out fine. But you're seeing Ja take a huge leap forward. Desmond Bain has taken a leap forward. Right. You know, Jaron Jackson Jr. has the potential to take a great leap forward, um, and it's it's a it's a team that is largely a, a holdover team from last year, with the notable exception, obviously, of Valanciunas going to New Orleans and and being replaced with Stephen Adams. I actually wanted to ask you about that. You know, if we did a little bit of revisionist history here with that trade, do you still think? I mean, what did you think of the trade in the first place? I guess we should start there. You know, I think from a basketball perspective, it's it's a nod to today's NBA, which, as I said, the back to the basket big is is kind of a dinosaur. Uh, and you know, you're talking about Ja and Jaron operating in the same space. Well, Jonas would operate in that same space. So, you know, and and Jonas, you didn't have to run plays for him. You could run plays for him. Uh, but he's a he's a more uh, he takes up more shots than Stephen Adams does. Stephen Adams is basically rebounder. We're finding out he's a very good passer and and screen setter. So having said that, I think it was you know you you had contract issues, okay? Because JB had a pretty big number. Um, you were also looking at the fact that okay, can we space the floor better? If he's not there, if we, if we have Stephen Adams instead, so I think it was a combination of things. Personally, hated to see Jonas go. Jonas is a funny guy. He's a great guy to be around. We we enjoyed having him. Uh, he was just so warmly embraced by everybody in Memphis. He was kind of the you know the big lovable lug who you know would rack up 16 double doubles in a row, make a couple <laughs> of threes. You know, uh, had a rather um, interesting fashion sense. He had this uh, denim jacket with uh, a portrait of a wolf uh, airbrushed on the back of it. Uh, you know, he's just, just a fun guy to have around. <laughs> Having said that, Stephen Adams is, a, is also a, a pretty fun guy to be around. But uh, Stephen obviously just does not have the offensive game that Jonas does. And, and that's, that's the biggest change. But I, I don't think that the Grizzlies were looking to have another five that was going to be as offensively productive as Jonas was because they were more interested in what Jaron and Ja could do. Do you do you feel like JV was the vocal leader last year? And do you think he they lost the vocal leader? It, it just seems like for defense, I feel like there's always needs to be some sort of floor general. No, it's a really good and point. I yeah, think, I think Memphis doesn't have that, and I don't know if J the the absence of JV. Maybe I'm just pulling at straws here, because it seems like they were better defensively last year than they are this year, and I'm just trying to find out why. You know, you know what, Ro? It's interesting you bring it up. I, I looked at it today. The defensive numbers are 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 only slightly worse this year than they were last year. It's the offensive numbers that are struggling. If, you, if you're looking at offensive, if you're looking at efficiency, 
you're looking strictly at offensive efficiency, uh, the offensive efficiency has dropped more than the defensive efficiency has dropped. I think Jonas, you know, he he could be he was a good communicator uh, in getting that defense organized. You know, my thought, and I've said this on my podcast that you look at Phoenix and sure they got Chris Paul, who's a future Hall of Famer. They also got Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder is one of those old guys who's been around. And that's true. When your nickname is the boss man, okay, guys are going to listen to you. <laughs> and we saw firsthand when when Crowder was in Memphis, along with Solomon Hill. And I, both of these are guys are role players, but there was something, there was an element of gravitas about them that the younger players really responded. The Grizzlies don't have that anymore. They don't have anybody that has that deep level of experience. And and before that, going back to your, you know, dropping Vince Carter's name, you know, you had Vince Carter. This is a team that I'm trying to think, is there anybody over 30? <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't think so. And, and so you, it's the second youngest team, as I said, by average age. And, you know, Stephen Adams has been vocal in working with the other bigs. But defensively, who gets them organized? I don't know. And that, that to me, is, is, is the biggest thing. There, there isn't that one guy. I remember when I, when I arrived in Memphis, it was Shane Battier. Battier had got everybody organized defensively. Uh, Marcus All later got everybody organized defensively. I don't think that this uh, team has that defensive bellwether to get them organized and to make sure that everybody's in the right place at all times. And and I think that that's that's the reason why this team is, is seven and seven. On the other hand, to this point, the Grizzlies have played the toughest schedule to date. So seven and seven with the league's toughest schedule is not too bad. The NHL season is underway and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer to celebrate the greatest sport on ice. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. Doesn't matter if it's a one-time clapper or a depth deflection, however they light the lamp, you win. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TBPN. Throw down $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. This week, one puck in the net nets you a big win with promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And on the subject, going on the subject of defense specifically, you mentioned Marcus Saul. We actually also wanted to chat a bit about the grit and grind there and your thoughts there. Now, for me, I'm the Clippers homer of the bunch here. So I remember the wars (laughs) that the Grizzlies and Clippers had in the playoffs. And the main thing I remember about those games is that they were always just these slugfests and that as if I was a neutral fan, I would enjoy going to those games. But as a Clippers fan, part of me just hated watching because I knew the team was going to get beat up and the whole game was just (laughs) going to be a slugfest. So on the subject of that era... Uh, I wanted to ask, what's your favorite memory of the Grit and Grind era? And if you had to define a specific team, because I know they had battles with the Thunder, the Spurs, the Clippers, who would you define as their greatest rival? Oh, I think I think it'd be the Clippers, just from just from the the element of sheer hatred between between the two teams. <laughs> I mean, it was it was there, there was tremendous bad blood. There was bad blood with with Oklahoma City too. The Spurs, it was total respect because the Grizzlies were trying to be Spurs 2.0. I mean, they made no bones about it. They they, they really liked the, the San Antonio organization, and they tried to do a lot of the same things that San Antonio did. Um, I remember when Clippers go up 2 nothing on the Grizzlies in the playoffs. And the first game out in L.A., Clippers absolutely kicked Memphis's butt. Second game, it takes a Chris Paul shot late. And then after that, the Grizzlies just said, no, we're winning four straight. And, you know, the, the deciding game, I think Joey Crawford was working it. Uh, guys got thrown out. Matt Barnes kicked the garbage can. Um, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the Clippers were so frustrated and so angry, and they storm off the court. And um, 
There is, for those of you who, who know the movie Hustle and Flow, Craig Brewer, the Memphis filmmaker, uh, there was in that motion picture, uh, the, the song, Whoop That Trick. Well, the Grizzlies game presentation staff changed that to Whoop That Clip. <laughs> and I did not know that. And Neither so, did I. And so, and so, this this was the rallying cry. And so, when things were going well for the Grizzlies, and you were in the fourth quarter, uh, the whole building of eighteen thousand was chanting, "Whoop that clip! Whoop that clip!" <laughs> and you know, the battles between Zach Randolph and Blake Griffin were amazing. Yeah. Uh, you know, there were chokeholds, there were body slams, there were, you know, guys being pulled down and and um, the local media would always joke and like, well, there's there's the Zach, Zach Randolph, Blake Griffin commemorative double technical foul because it, there, there would we knew there would be offsetting, you know, or upsetting technicals at, at some point during those games. So that was that uh, there was this the, the utter hatred of, of Chris Paul. Um, there was the Tony Allen, you know, trying to defend, and, and he ends up kicking Chris Paul in the face in the regular season game. It, it was, yeah, that was that was the biggest rivalry period. The end, uh, absolutely. What was the vibe around the team? For obviously, this is a much younger group that you're around now. That team was obviously very experienced. Went to the playoffs pretty deep a couple times. What, what was the vibe day by day for you being around them all the time? It, it was it was really different because we we talk about the core four. Okay, so Marcus All, Tony Allen, Zach Randolph, Mike Conley. You could not have imagined four more different personalities. And being around them, it was it was very very different. Um, you know, Mark Mark could be silly, like the time he dressed as a seven foot cousin it for a Halloween party. Um, <laughs> that was a sight to see. Uh, but, but, you know, he was usually pretty serious. Uh, you know, Tony Allen was way out there. You know, Zach Randolph was just kind of happy-go-lucky until he got in between the lines and then he was all business. And, and Mike Conley is one of the classiest, nicest, sweetest guys you'd ever want to meet. So, you know, you knew that when they were on the floor, you always had a chance to win. They were, they were really quality players and they played hard. Um, it was the period where the city of Memphis fell in love with the Memphis Grizzlies. And it started with that playoff victory over San Antonio uh, when San Antonio was a one seed, the Grizzlies were an eight seed. And um, that was where the whole the whole grit and grind thing really started. Um, you know, for, for your listeners who aren't aware, it, it all started one night. Um, Memphis had lost the previous night, I think, in San Antonio. Rudy Gay, I think, was out with a concussion. Somebody else was missing due to injury. And it's Tony Allen, right? No, Tony Allen played. No, Tony was the star of the game. And uh, the Grizzlies were, were were getting boat raced in the first half. And Lionel Hollins went to the locker room at halftime and said, you guys act like you don't think you can win. Get out there in the second half and show that you can win. And they just shut down Kevin Durant. Tony Allen just absolutely just shut him down. And... Um, the game's over. Grizzlies win at Oklahoma City, which is really hard. You know, in those days, it was really, really hard to do. And um, our sideline reporter, you know, grabs Tony Allen and, and he says, Tony, great game. And he says, it's all hard. It's all grit, grind. And wow, marketing slogan is born. <laughs> um, and, and, and That's so, what I meant by by Tony Allen, by the way, is that he was the one with the quote. He was, yeah, he, he absolutely was the one. And that was that was always always how he talked. So then... But the, but the vibe around it was, this is this is a really really good basketball team, and we will fight you to the death. We will fight tooth and nail, and that's what made the San Antonio games were knockdown dragouts. You know the Clipper games were knockdown dragouts. Oklahoma City, I mean, you know you had Kendrick Perkins and Zach Randall threatening to square off. I mean, you know, teams didn't want to play those guys. Teams didn't want to come to Memphis and have to deal with them because they were going to get beat up physically. Like the 2015 Warriors, the championship Warriors, I thought the toughest matchup for them were the Grizzlies, to be quite honest with you. No, you're, no, you're, you're right. And I think, 
the Grizzlies to this day and their fans think, well, what if Mike had not had the broken face? What if Tony Allen's hamstring had held up? Maybe, maybe, the, maybe the Warriors didn't get rings that year. You know, you, you don't know. It, 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 it was an opportunity, I think, for the Grizzlies, but you know, the injuries were, were just a little too much. As amazing as Game Two was with Mike Conley and that 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 broken face coming back and playing as well as he did. And the Grizzlies were up two one in that series, I think, right? Right. Yeah, and. Just the contrast in styles was a lot of fun for that series, too. I mean, you had the Warriors who loved shooting it from the outside, and then you also had the other side who loved just kind of banging down low. That was a really fun series. And like you said, um, the grit and grind era, no one wanted to play them. Just for a little bit of like past history here, in 2011, they go out to the Thunder, but it took seven games. 2012, to the Clippers, it took seven games. 2014 to the Thunder, seven games. Trailblazer, I'm oh, sorry, the Warriors, six games. So every single time you ran into this grit and grind team, you knew you were going to get a long series. Yeah, it was uh, it was it was a really good run for that group, and uh, you know, hopefully the guys that we got now with, with John, Jaron are going to be able to uh, to get to a point where they can be very very problematic for for teams to play against. And, and I know a lot of coaches right now are losing a lot of sleep about how to deal with John Moran. Hey Pete, 2020, I want to talk 2020, one of the craziest years I think we've ever experienced and the world paused and the NBA season was paused in March and then restarted months later. I know in Orlando, Florida in the bubble, what was that like? What was that experience like? I, I don't believe you were, there was only a select few of members that were allowed there. So you were probably calling games remotely for the Grizzlies of the nine games. Can you kind of talk us through that experience and what that was like, challenges or things that were interesting to you? It was it was very, very difficult. Um, yeah, I think national telecasters were allowed, but even they were off the floor in plexiglass booths. No locals were, were allowed at all. Um, and so it, it, was, it was really crazy. What they did is they, because everything was shut down, uh, we went to FedEx Forum. They had the court down. They had the baskets up, and they they built a, a platform for us, probably about you know three four feet off the ground, with these giant, probably eighty five inch monitors. One was the program monitor with what was going out over the air, and then the other the other one was an all ten view of of the entire court, so that you know if a player went down with injury and the play went back to the other end, we could we could still see what was going on with that player. I had done a lot of stuff remotely. I had done two Olympics calling events remotely. Um, it's it's really hard. The one thing that we were able to do, we're very lucky in Memphis that we have an excellent relationship with our coaching staff that we could text them and say, you know, hey, can you give us a little insight about John Morant? Can you give us some insight on, you know, this guy or, or, or whatever? But it is very hard because you're limited to whatever the camera, whatever the director, whatever shot the director punches up, you're really limited. And obviously, if something happens with an injury, you don't have a sideline report. You don't have anybody that you can that you can go to. Um, you know, when we are in our regular mode, our sideline reporter, Rob Fisher, will talk to one of our assistant coaches uh, coming out of coming out of halftime. Well, clearly we couldn't do that, but he would get them on the phone and they would be willing to talk to him for, for a minute or two and just kind of give them the, the take of what had happened in the locker room. So it was difficult. Uh, it was odd walking into an empty arena uh, during the bubble. And it was odd walking into an empty arena last year when we were doing road games and we do it for FedEx Forum. So, you know, here we are in, oh, yeah, right. in, in, in suits in, in an 18,000 seat building and there's nobody there. And you're doing a West Coast game, and you know you're, here, here you are. You're, you're walking out of the building at midnight after a West Coast game, and and you know the streets are empty. It's it, it was just a very, very, very odd feeling. And you know, I talked to a lot of my colleagues, and and none of us were happy with having to do the games remotely because it's not really the way the games should be done. Right. Um, you know, I, I talked with Mike Breen of, of ESPN. He said, I never realized how much I looked off the ball when I'm calling the games live. You know, you were you were really had tunnel vision to 
again, whatever shot was on the screen. And, and you couldn't bring as many, as much detail to the games as you could if you were actually there, which we are now. Thankfully, the Grizzlies are one of the teams that is traveling everybody. So we're, we're grateful for that. So I wanted to ask you about another unique experience, which was the play-in last year. And I was really happy that Ja and the Grizzlies were now in the national spotlight. Can you give like your insight and like your thoughts about the play-in? Did you like it? How did you feel about it? And Ja's, uh, well, legal. yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, Ja, ja was fantastic. Um, I like the play-in from the league's perspective because now you are involving more teams that have a chance to make the playoffs you're dealing with more teams that have the opportunity to get into the play-in so you're having a rate so you're having multiple races you have a race for the sixth seed you have a race for the seventh or eighth as opposed to the ninth or the tenth and then you have the race for the tenth seed as opposed to the eleventh who doesn't even get in at all so so it generates a whole lot more interest and you have teams that are playing meaningful basketball longer and so you don't have these games at the end of the season where a team is locked into a seed and we're just going to sit everybody and it's it's bad basketball so i think from from the league standpoint i think it's i think it's a huge huge boost um frankly when the grizzlies lost the, the regular season game at golden state uh you think like well okay now you're nine you got to win two playing games one of them is going to have to be on the road it you, you just didn't think that that was going to be a a good outcome knew we could beat san antonio that i felt very very comfortable with and the other piece of this is local telecasters could not do the play-in games they were national exclusive so you know the biggest games of the year and you're sitting on your hands uh and you really you can't do anything about it so you know, the first yeah. game was was uh, was in Memphis, and so you know, sat in my regular seat. You know, no cheering in the press box, but you know, very excited when when the Grizzlies played well. Um, and then you think, like, okay, we got to go to Golden State and play Steph Curry in an elimination game. We were just there, and, and Curry went for like forty-seven or some some crazy number. You know, like, okay, this is this is probably the end of the line, and. Um, our sideline reporter Rob Fisher and I watched it in our producer's office at FedEx Forum, and I mean we were jumping around, and and I mean it was amazing because, you know, I don't think anybody realistically expected the Grizzlies to win that game, but the fact that Jaw came up big, Xavier Tillman hits a big three, Desmond Bain with the big end one to seal it, uh, to play that well on the road in. A winner-take-all situation that was very, very impressive on the part of John Moran and really this entire team, which is very, very young, playing a, a team that has a championship pedigree in Golden State. Yeah, so so me and JJ are actually we're, we're fans of Golden State, and we did not feel comfortable at <laughs> all going into that play-in game after facing the LA Lakers in just a dead heat. And then having to play someone physical like um, the Grizzlies because we knew that someone like Dylan Brooks was going to do his best to just sort of lock up Steph Curry. And you know what? He didn't do a bad job. He actually did pretty well. Did you think the same thing, JJ? Oh, yeah. He was just a pest on Curry and not a pest <laughs> in a bad way. Like, the way you're supposed to play defense, you know? Not like uh, Patrick Beverly. Had to go there. Yeah, huh? not like Patrick Pepper. <laughs> not like Pepper. <laughs> so, Pete, we actually want to dive a little bit into you. We want to know what your journey was like in becoming the play-by-play broadcaster for, broadcaster for the Memphis Grizzlies. No, where do I start? <laughs> Man, I mean, I guess, I guess with the the, the Portland Trailblazers, you were a sideline reporter, correct? During the lockout year. Well, it goes even further back than that. I'll, I'll give you. I'll try to give you the quickest, quickest possible version of this, so we don't put all your listeners to sleep. Um, <laughs> I um, well, everybody. Well, I think everybody here knows Kevin Harlan, right? From from TNT. Uh, Kevin grew up in Green Bay. I grew up just north of Green Bay. We went to the same high school, and we're five years. We're five years apart. Kevin's five years older than I am. We went to the same high school, and that high school had a ten watt radio station. 
So I was doing play-by-play on radio and basketball and football when I, about the same time I learned to drive. And uh, Kevin went on to Kansas. I went to Notre Dame. I did student radio there. Uh, and then after a brief stint working at a radio station in Wisconsin, um, I sent the tape to George Blaha, who is a Notre Dame grad and has been for 40 some years, the, the voice of the Detroit Pistons. And he gave, he said, hey, this tape's really good. He gave it to his boss, a fellow by the name of Harry Hutt with the Detroit Pistons. Well, in those days, and still to this day, George Blaha does Michigan State football on radio. Mark Champion was doing Detroit Lions uh, football on radio, and Mark was George's backup. So they needed a third string guy uh, on fall Saturdays. And so here I am like 25, 26 years old, and I'm doing radio play-by-play for the Detroit Pistons the year after their second championship at the Palace of Auburn Hills. And um, did that for about six years, trying to, but it was only like three or four games a year. Really wanted to get into it full time, obviously. Um, you know, did a lot of stuff around the edges, did some stuff I was working, living and working in Chicago, uh, in South Bend, Indiana, you know, just doing some stuff regionally. And then this fellow, Harry Hutt, uh, goes to Portland. And he calls me up one night and he says, I'm going to get you to Portland. One way or the other, you're coming to Portland. I, I think you're going to have a hell of a career uh, in the NBA as a broadcaster. And I said, yeah, okay, sure. Uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, whatever. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, we, wouldn't, and wouldn't you know, um, it, it, it worked out. And um, I was hired originally to – Harry wanted to get me into the organization. And, you know, that was about the time they were making the change with Bill Shonley. And they were they were thinking about making a change on TV as well. And so Harry said, I need to get you out here, get you in the organization. So the first year, which was a lockout year, 98-99, I wrote the game notes for the media relations staff, did some sideline reporting. And the Blazers were one of the first teams to have a radio host do the pre, half, and post-game shows and I would monitor the game and I would cut highlights and then at halftime I'd play the highlights back and post game I'd you know, do more highlights or, or whatever. So, and then, then did a little TV uh, sideline reporting. So I was there for that 50 game lockout season and then uh, Eddie Doucette's contract came up and they decided not to renew it. And that's when I got the, uh, the TV job working with the Snapper Jones. Um, so I was there then I think all of the Blazer fans will remember that, uh, you know, in July of 2003, the Blazers organization uh, cut 88 people loose, right. myself included. And uh, I was out of the league for a year. Uh, and then the following year, there were three opportunities. There was a television in New Orleans, television in Denver, and the radio job in Memphis. And uh, Memphis showed some interest. And I was... Um, I had gotten a job. I was going to do the Olympics in Athens for NBC. I was going to do team handball and judo. And my agent said, you know, you, you, you told Memphis that you're interested, but I really think you need to go there and you need to visit. Even though they've not invited you, I'm, I'm going to tell their VP of broadcasting that you're coming down to have lunch with them. And that's exactly what I did. I, I cashed in some frequent flyer miles and, and I flew uh, from Chicago to Memphis and visited with Randy Stevens, who was the VP of broadcasting at the time. We had a nice conversation. And um, I one morning I woke up in uh, Athens, Greece to a phone call that uh, I was being offered the radio job for the Memphis Grizzlies. And in those days, you know, people forget that, you know, teams didn't always televise all 82. Uh, the Grizzlies were only televising 50. So I would do radio for the 50 games that were on TV, the 32 that were not on TV, Don Foyer, who had been with the team since they were in Vancouver, he would do the radio. Uh, As it turned out, in January of 2005, we're on a road trip in Denver. Don passed away of a heart attack. And uh, I finished out the year doing both radio and TV. And then the following year, I just went exclusively to TV and have been there ever since. So in in that time and in all of your experience, what's been your favorite moment uh, calling a game? Oof. Um, oh, you got to think back. <laughs> well, I mean, there, there. I mean, there, there, there are so many that, that leap to mind. Um, 
I remember, you know, from from Portland days. I remember the Miracle Minute. Yeah. Okay, obviously, good uh, against against Dallas, um, the game two beatdown of the Western Conference Finals against the Lakers. That was, you know, that and that doesn't happen anymore because local telecasters are limited to only doing the first round of the playoffs. Back in those days, we could actually go as far as game two of the conference finals if it wasn't on NBC, and we actually got to do game two of the Western Conference Finals at Staples Center, and 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 Portland just absolutely beat the stuffings out of out of the Lakers, which which is always a lot of fun. Regardless, <laughs> it doesn't matter what franchise you're with. Doesn't matter which franchise you're with. You just you always love beating the Lakers. Uh, as far as Grizzlies, John. I, I, <laughs> I think did I touch a nerve? No, <laughs> absolutely not. He can Pete. take I'm, it. He can take it. He that, takes it. Yeah. That's okay, Pete. Is... Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> now, 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 okay, John. I got to tell you this. Very okay. When when you go to Portland and you're flying out of flying on the charter out of flight craft, and they got the air stairs that they roll up to the side of the plane. The bottom step of the air stairs, there are. Two words stenciled on the bottom step of the air stairs: "Beat LA." Oh, I like so, that. Every, That's awesome. So every so every time we would get on the charter flight with with the Trailblazers, you, 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 your first step was "Beat LA." Um, as far as the Grizzlies, I think the, the game one win, Shane Battier hits the big three to beat San Antonio, and, and ultimately, uh, you know, the Grizzlies would win. In, in six games, uh, I remember a triple overtime game where Tim Duncan and Marcus All exchanged improbable shots. Uh, I remember a Rudy Gay buzzer beater over LeBron James when he was with Miami. That was that was incredible. Um, uh, a lob that Vince Carter threw to uh, Courtney Lee right at the uh, very end of a game against Sacramento after the Grizzlies came back from something crazy like a 22-point deficit. So I mean, there 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 are a lot of great memories on and off the court. Frankly, um, you know, being around people like Vince Carter and and Marcus Saul and Mike Conley and, and and the people that we've had a chance to be around. It's there there are a lot of memories. It's hard to pick really really one. I, I hope someday we can we can talk about a, a championship memory for the Grizzlies, but that that yeah. might be a way off yet. <laughs> so. Uh... Pete, is there an underrated player that, you know, when we watch on TV, it doesn't do them justice? You need to see this player live in person since you've seen many players live? Yeah, it's a, it's a real good question. Uh, I think one of the guys that we just saw this past weekend, Nikhil Alexander-Walker from New Orleans, I think is a very, very good player that nobody really knows about. Played his college basketball at Virginia Tech, uh, Canadian. Uh, I think he's, he's very, very talented. Chris Middleton is a guy that, I mean, now he's getting a lot of shine, obviously, because the Bucks have been very successful. But for years, nobody really knew who Chris Middleton was. Um, in, in Philadelphia, Matisse Thibel, uh, as a really good defensive player, is, is somebody that uh, I think bears watching. He's not going to score a lot of points, but I think he's a, he's a real, real fun player to watch. So those, those are three just right off the top of my head. But uh, there, there are a lot of guys that are just kind of kind of undersung players. But once you watch them, you know they're total pros and that they always produce night in and night out. And, you know, Pete, I think, I think we're coming to the end of the pod here. I'm actually going to have you predict the future here you're gonna you're gonna look into your crystal ball and it's and it's 2022 the playoffs are about to start what seed are the memphis grizzlies uh, i think they're gonna be eight eight um, yeah yeah I, I think they're gonna have to go through the play-in um you know that's that that's the way that i see it i, I think that they're probably probably gonna be eight um Maybe higher. I mean, if, if if they're healthy and things come together, they could go higher. I just six to me just seems to be a pretty heavy lift, unless there's another team ahead of them that right. sustains a significant injury. What happens if, if Luka Doncic has you know some catastrophic injury or, or something like that? But you know, New Orleans isn't going to compete. I don't think for the playoffs. Although when Zion comes back, how much you know? How, are they so far behind now that is his presence going to get them you know into the into those top ten seeds? 
you know, San Antonio is going to be a struggle. Houston is not going to compete for it. Oklahoma City is not going to compete for it. So, um, you know, you're the Grizzlies are definitely going to be in, in the play play in mix in, in some form or fashion. But obviously, you want to get the, the highest seed possible. Yeah, I think we're sort of in agreement there. Hopefully, they'll have more dominating wins like they just had with the Rockets. But Pete, I actually want to give you the floor here to just kind of plug whatever you're up to, what you're doing, maybe your podcast, maybe your cameo. Yeah, that's right. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I am. Uh, yeah, I, I am. I am doing cameo. So anybody wants a, a customized uh, a video, a greeting, I have done everything from uh, good luck in your cancer battle to uh, you know, today's your wedding day. Uh, I've done weddings. I've done birthdays. I've done get well wishes. I've done graduations. Um, it's, 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 it's a lot of fun. And, uh, yes, I do have a podcast. It's called the Grizz Weekly Grind on, on the Hoops Pod, uh, the basketball podcast network, Hoops Pod Net, and, uh, comes out every Monday and Thursday. And, uh, you can get it wherever you get your podcast, whether it's Apple or Spotify or Stitcher. Uh, go ahead and, and look for it. And um, been really lucky getting a lot of a lot of really good guests. I try to talk to a lot of my uh, my broadcast colleagues. Uh, we've got an episode dropping on Thursday. Brian Seaman of the Clippers is going to come by. We've got Mark J. Spears. We've had Mike Breen. I've had Monty McCutcheon from the NBA referee office. So uh, we've we've had some we've had some really really good conversations and. Uh, Hopefully, people will uh, will check that out, check that out, and subscribe. Yeah, definitely. I mean, here at the clinic, we have the Memphis Grizzlies are actually in our top four teams that we watch on League Pass. So Pete Pranica will be listening um, to you the, the next coming games here, and we'd like to thank you for being on. Thank you, Pete. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank really. you. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. <laughs> but thanks for having me. And if you ever want to have me back and you ever want to talk about that experience about going to Tokyo with uh, with Japanese broadcasters, that was that was a pretty cool experience. Yeah, that was actually on our list too to talk about that. So I'm I'm kind of we would love to have you back. <laughs> that's that's right. That's right. There's, there's 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 plenty more. So yeah, we'll we'll do part two sometime. And that's actually all we have for tonight's pod. I'd like to thank Pete Pranica once again, and also like to thank JJ Jink. JJ, thanks for being on this. Thanks again, Pete. Steph Curry with the shot, boy. <laughs> John, thank you. Thanks again, Pete, even though you rag on my Lakers. It's all good. <laughs> and Sammy, thank you, my friend. Thanks again to Pete as well, and thanks also for ragging on John's Lakers. <laughs> and I'm Rosa Panta. This is the Clinic All-NBA Podcast. Come find us wherever you get your podcasts.